You're listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Our guest is Scott Johnson, Director of Communications for Metrolink. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lillian, for having us. So I'm happy to spend some time with you. There are so many things I want to ask about, so let's just get started on my list. Metrolink is the first railroad in the nation to run on renewable fuel. Talk to me about the transition and the plan for zero emissions. Let's get started there. Metrolink has always been a leader in both safety initiatives and for the environment. The major initiative for this transition to renewable fuel is our board of directors have made a a priority for climate change and to make certain that we as an agency are doing everything we possibly can to help the environment. A major part of that is what powers our locomotives. So historically, our locomotives have been powered by diesel. Unfortunately, those that diesel results into particulates. So what we've done is taken the step to operate all of our locomotives on renewable fuel, which is largely based in plant goods, whether it be natural fats or vegetable oils, along with soybean and corn oil. So we recognize that by eliminating the diesel particulates from our locomotives, ultimately that is better for our environment. Okay, so you kind of just described it a little bit, but tell me about the different types of fuels that will be used, if you could break it down just a little bit more. Our primary fuel supplier uh, sources approximately 70% of the Nesty and 30% from Marathon Oil. Basically, we have about 8 million gallons of fuel that power our service annually. One of the primary components is for the climate, but also as a public agency and a transportation entity who is responsible for the best use of taxpayer dollars, it saves us approximately $0.08 cents per gallon. So that results in approximately a $640,000 savings annually per Metrolink. So that's really nice for Metrolink, which will then be passed on, I would assume, to your riders. Is this all part of the Climate Action Plan? It is. This is one step toward bridging our goal to someday being zero emission. In the Inland Empire, we operate on both Union Pacific Rail track along with BNSF track. Mm -hmm. The primary reason why Metrolink has a difficult time transitioning completely to electric is because we operate across our 538 miles of service area across other railroads. Up until the point where we control everything, and and obviously the, the freight railroads are long-haul services going across greater western United States, right. this is really the first significant step toward Metrolink becoming zero emission. And what is the estimation? You, you said you've rolled it out a little bit. Where is it now to where it's absolutely going, and by what year? So in terms of the zero emission, the Climate Action Plan doesn't have a specific date, but we are excited the fact that the the utilization of the the renewable fuel has already been in place, and we anticipate a significant cut, approximately 80% of CO2 and uh, diesel particulates will all but be eliminated, the 80% over the course of the life cycle in reduction of um, the CO2. Now, when it started, as you said, it did roll out. Was there any difference to be smelled, anything different that they they might have noticed, or maybe it was undetected? From a rider standpoint, there is no noticeable change. Um, We wanted to make certain that this was a seamless transition. So we actually started a pilot program 
with limited locomotives running on the renewable fuel summer of 2021. As we incorporated, we wanted to make certain, one, that the different type of fuel didn't result in any maintenance uh, or mechanical issues. The last thing you want to do is introduce a new fuel product and then have it work great in the yard. And then when it gets halfway on a trip between, say, Riverside and Fullerton or Riverside and Los Angeles or back on Los Angeles, back to San Bernardino, to have the thing break down. Right. We have had zero mechanical issues in relation to uh, the transition, and we're excited that not only did the pilot program go smoothly, but the transition that we went uh, all of our locomotives to renewable fuel in February has has really gone very, very smoothly. Well, great. I want to ask, what were your numbers like? How many rioters did you have before the pandemic, and where are you now? Say February uh, 2020, uh, prior to the pandemic and the Associated State Homeowners, we averaged approximately 40,000 daily weekday boardings. After the governor and other health officials had the stay-at-home orders go into effect and, by and large, workforces began to work remotely, we saw a 90% drop in ridership. Wow. We recognized, however, that there were still essential workers that still needed our service. We've done polls uh, and surveys over the years, and approximately 82 to 86% of our ridership take Metrolink as an option. They have a car, and they choose the train to avoid that traffic. When that transition occurred with the pandemic, we actually saw the reliance on public transportation jump up a little bit. Metrolink was their only option to get to work. Mm -hmm. And so these folks weren't just taking Metrolink as an option. They were taking it as a necessity. Mm -hmm. So working with our both local, state, and federal partners where they recognize that public transportation is absolutely critical and absolutely essential, we continued to do the responsible thing. We had a 30% reduction in our service. It certainly wasn't what it had been, but it was enough for our critical employees, the folks who work in healthcare, your doctors and your nurses, mm. the folks who are members of the police department and sheriff's department that transitioned largely from the Inland Empire into our the Los Angeles area, and the folks that work in the food industry or education. What we've seen, though, largely uh, as we transitioned to this calendar year, that our ridership has increased. It was kind of the what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Mm. Do you begin to offer trains hoping people will come back, right. or do you wait until people start returning to offer additional <laughs> service? We wanted to see a trend over the course of a few weeks, if not a couple months, before we launched additional train service, largely because of the unknowns that have been associated with the pandemic. Right. With the restoration of, of 26 trains um, on the 4th of April meets that demand. Currently, our ridership is approximately 14,000 daily boardings, which is approximately 35% of what it had been. We anticipate that continuing to grow this spring and into the summer. Ironically, we've seen a 70% return to weekend riders where people, I think, from what we have been able to determine, see the high gas prices on a weekend, and if they can avoid the freeway traffic, which is completely back in force, to get to you know, somewhere in Los Angeles and enjoy the day, or take a train toward Orange County or Oceanside and avoid the 91. We anticipate ridership uh, continuing to grow, and that was kind of the first major step was seeing the ridership increase, and then we matched that in order for the service to be there for when people return. 
So I want to talk about the week in ridership in just a second. But first, I want to say, were you able to tell the ridership during the pandemic what lines were needed the most? Were you seeing it in the Inland Empire, Ventura, Orange County, L.A. County? Where were you seeing it the most? Or was it equally divided? So historically, we have seen our Orange County line uh, is the highest percentage of people who are taking our service for job-related along with a little bit of the Inland Empire, Orange County, that connects uh, Riverside and San Bernardino and the job centers, say, in Irvine or Fullerton. Where we saw the, the ridership continue fairly steadily was on our San Bernardino line. Uh, largely folks who live in the San Bernardino, Rialto, Fontana areas who still worked in those essential functions in Los Angeles or El Monte into L.A. County. Along the Antelope Valley line, with people living up, up in Palmdale, Lancaster, Santa Clarita, and continuing to come into Los Angeles every day for work. So those were the two lines where we saw the least amount of ridership decrease. In terms of ridership increase as people return to work, we've seen the largest gains on our Orange County line and our Inland Empire. Let me reintroduce our guest is Scott Johnson. He's the Director of Communications for Metrolink. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the weekend rider versus the weekday rider. And you have kind of indicated that the ridership on the weekends has increased? It really has. 1992, Metrolink start basically as a commuter railroad with Los Angeles as the hub and people living in Riverside, San Bernardino, the high desert of Ventura County, living there and commuting to work. That business model has changed. People now, if they have returned to work, more than likely have some type of adjusted schedule where sometimes they work from home. Sometimes they can come into work. Sometimes they want to leave a little bit earlier. So we really have been making adjustments to our entire schedule, our business model, and our fares to be more of a regional passenger railroad as opposed to the traditional commuter railroad. Where we've seen a significant increase is on weekends. Two of the big things that we've introduced during the pandemic is kids ride free on weekends. Hmm. Anybody 17 years old and younger with paying adult can ride free on weekends. Up to three children with each paying adult can ride free on weekends. And then the the weekend day pass. So for $10, you can go anywhere in our service area. Obviously, when you think about the, the fuel and gas prices for your car, just even like the parking costs, the beach is going to run you more than $10. <laughs> So those are two of the major things that we've tried to introduce and then additional fare options for our weekday riders as well. I want to talk about the fares and the different fees that are out there in just a minute. You're listening to Inland Edition on KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez speaking with Scott Johnson, Director of Communications for Metrolink. Our conversation about Metrolink will continue after a quick break. Stay with us. This is Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Scott Johnson, Director of Communications for Metrolink. Okay, before the break, Scott, we were talking about fees. You briefly started talking about it. Are there occasions with discounted tickets, as in the case with the Super Bowl experience or your equity day? What other activities or things do you offer where our community can take advantage of it and maybe experience Metrolink for the first time? Well, first of all, again, Lillian, thank you for having me on the show Talking Inland Edition is a great opportunity. So in regards to fares, we certainly recognize that we have got to provide additional options. So for example, in the Inland Empire, Insomniac is an organization that holds 
events at the National Orange Show in San Bernardino. Hmm. We've partnered with them for special train service at a special rate that offers late night service that departs uh, our San Bernardino stations back toward Los Angeles. We've had, I think, six over the last um, nine to 10 months and continue uh, to have that partnership. You referenced it earlier, the National Equity Day, when we recognized the fact that public transportation needs to be fair and equitable for everybody on the birthday of Rosa Parks. On the 22nd, we're going to also offer free rides in recognition of Earth Day. We've talked about our initiatives with both the the climate and making certain that the environment is safe. But in terms of our regular uh, everyday options, we still offer the discounts for senior and disabled along with our veterans. But one of the ticket options that we did introduce during the pandemic was our five-day flex pass, where we recognize that people didn't necessarily have to commute every day. But, but every once in a while, they may need to go into the office and they didn't necessarily want to buy a ticket each and every time they went. So the five-day flex pass was a ticket that you could purchase. It was good for a course of 30 days, and you could use it for up to five days during that window. People let us know that, hey, this was cool. However, would it be possible to have, say, like 10 days over the course of two months listening to our writers' recommendations? That will be introduced uh, later this month and into May, our 10 day flex pass. Those are the, some of the options where we're introducing and recognizing that people just aren't uh, necessarily riding uh, five days a week to and from uh, their workplace anymore. Well, I love that you listen to your ridership and when they make their comments and you maybe make changes because it's the comments that you've heard. So that's um, very encouraging. For those that want to take advantage of the discounts, whether they're veterans or seniors, how do they go about doing it? Is it just is it listed there on the kiosk when they go to get their ticket, or how would they know to do that? There's two primary ways to purchase a ticket uh, at Metrolink, uh, and it really is about 50-50 in terms of people either using a, a ticket kiosk or a ticket machine at any one of our 62 stations throughout our system. Or you can simply use the mobile app, which is much easier, at least for people who are comfortable with a mobile device. But we recognize that not everyone has a mobile device. We recognize that not everyone necessarily wants information on a mobile platform or electronic, and they still like going to a traditional uh, ticket machine. All of those discounts are immediately built in uh, as you proceed through the ticket purchasing process. And then ultimately, the purchase price incorporates that discount. So it's kind of the honor system. You're not having to show a card or anything like that to qualify? Not initially. Our conductors and security personnel on board trains, as they do the fare inspection, uh, they do ask for uh, confirmation. If you have a student ticket, better have a student ID. And if you're someone with special needs, do you have to have something to show or a veteran? Do you need to show something for that as well? The veteran, yes, in terms of either some type of ID, whether it be the traditional common access card, your CAC reader uh, that active military personnel have, or something issued from the VA as a retiree. In terms of a disabled uh, card, oftentimes people use their access card. Uh, that is issued from uh, Los Angeles County or some other uh, verification of the disabled identification. Okay. Let me reintroduce our guest is Scott Johnson. He's the Director of Communications for Metrolink. Scott, before I let you go, with gas prices as they are right now, as high as they are, has this had an impact on ridership and are more trains available now that maybe people are taking advantage of Metrolink rather than commuting in the car? 
as we began 2022, we got into the months of February and we saw the state home orders being lifted, a lot of the pandemic mandate being rescinded or lessened. People started returning to work. A number of people, thousands, had been home for two years. Businesses, places of work wanted to return to some sense of either normalcy or at least some sense of in-office work. This was coincided with the spike in gas prices. So what we've seen in rider surveys and comments, combination of those two large factors, with the addition of the 26 trains that came back as a part of our schedule on Monday, April 4th, we incorporated additional later morning, midday on a couple of our lines, some later afternoon into early evening trains to provide that additional flexibility. So we really are excited uh, about where we're at in terms of public transportation. We recognize that it's still uh, a long road back to what it had been in 2019 and the first part of 20. But we anticipate having the train schedule we offered previous to the pandemic restored with our October schedule change. And then at that point, we will possibly even add additional service. You mentioned it briefly. How many stations are there across the IE, LA, OC, and Ventura. Those are where your lines are, IE meaning San Bernardino and Riverside. How many stations are there? Currently, there's a total of 62. There will be some additional stations that will be opening up this fall Mm. on the line that we refer to as our arrow line, where we're going to be operating. Um, They're smaller. They're referred to as DMU, diesel multiple units. They're similar to what you would see in San Diego uh, with the coaster. You know, your listeners who are familiar with like the the gold line in Los Angeles County, about that size, that'll operate back and forth between our San Bernardino downtown station and the University of Redlands. Mm. That'll incorporate an additional four stations. There will be a Metrolink early morning train that'll originate from those stations, uh, express or a limited stop into Los Angeles with a return trip in the afternoon. So it's 62 during the week. Uh, We do add uh, a couple weekend stops, and then we do have some special station stops uh, during the course of the year. For example, the Montana Speedway, we have a station stop, or we had when we offered service to the Auto Club 400. Uh, We hope to resume service to the Los Angeles County Fair this year. Mm. That's where we're at. Very good. And will there be a ride to Angel Stadium? So there technically is a ride right now. Okay. (laughs) Historically, we did offer what was referred to as the Angels Express, which was a special train that would originate on Friday nights from Riverside County. People could transition at Orange and take a, the quick, an additional train up to Anaheim. Mm. That service has not been restored for this season, largely because of the uncertainty. Of we didn't know if there season. was going to be a season. <laughs> <laughs> and then with ridership. It's not a service that we anticipate uh, being a part of the 2022 uh, baseball season, but hopefully when the boys of summer return in 23. The boys of summer, that's my favorite sport. Okay, now, I know you don't have a crystal ball because if you did, then that would answer everything, wouldn't it? But why do you think more people here in the Inland Empire don't use Metrolink as much? I mean, it would be it would be nice if they did, but why do you think they still don't as much? When we do rider surveys, and I'm a good example. So I grew up in the Midwest, did not use public transportation, moved to California, still drove. When I moved to the Inland Empire, I initially worked in Anaheim. The first time I took the 91, it was on a Friday afternoon oh and I, <laughs> in a Honda Civic without air. And it's like, oh, my God, there's got to be a better way. Someone said, hey, there, you know, there's a train, right? And I said, no, I don't. So I looked it up. By and large, people from California, certainly the Inland Empire, public transportation is not a part of their daily lives as young people. 
So it's one of those things that you have to learn. For example, my wife is a brilliant, intelligent woman. She has a pair of bachelor's degrees from UC Riverside, a master's degree from UCLA, and had never taken a train like 2006, <laughs> 2007. First time we went on a train, she wanted me to go with her to help her buy a ticket. It's the unknown. Mm. They're not familiar with it. Mm. And it's going to the, the train station at the first time, trying to find the ticket machine, the first time trying to push a button and get a ticket. We find, by and large, once people try the train, get comfortable with the train, they're hooked. It's so much easier. I took the train for almost two years when I worked in Anaheim with Metrolink, now for almost 10 years as well. I couldn't imagine trying to get into Union Station any other way other than the train. The days that I have to drive, it's usually just because of bad circumstances or for some reason I miss a train and there's a deadline that I have to drive, but it's just miserable. So that's usually the biggest part is just people are unaware of the agency, unaware of the service. There is some level of you know public transportation, the perception of it, but typically when people ride the train, one, they see how comfortable and clean it is, the air conditioning, the ability to take a nap, as they go into or come back from Los Angeles or head down to Orange County. It's typically, once people try it, they're hooked. You know, I really love traveling by the train, and I have used Metrolink a few times. What I enjoy most is the opportunity to multitask. I can still keep working while I'm on the train, as opposed to if I were driving, there's no way I could because I have to pay attention to the road. And so I can do other things, or I can sleep, or I can play cards. I really enjoy that aspect. You must have some kind of numbers of how many cars are not on the freeways because they're taking the train and what that might be saving us in in pollution. The state of California has done a tremendous job in making certain that the fuel uh, that cars are using uh, are clean or burning. But at the same time, it's literally thousands of vehicle miles uh, removed from the freeways that result in subsequently thousands and thousands of um, CO2 uh, emissions, along with diesel particulates, that are removed from the air each and every year. But by and large, even though people are in favor of using uh, the train for climate associated, by and large, what people say, the reason why they ride is for the convenience and getting out of their car and avoiding traffic. And then when you double down now with the high gas prices, taking Metrolink is just much more inviting. All right, so I think we need to plan a KVCR members train ride all the way into L.A. You need to help me set that up, Scott, so that we can invite more people to check out our Metrolink. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Scott Johnson is Director of Communications for Metrolink. For information about riding free on Earth Day, along with train schedules and much more, visit the Metrolink website at metrolinktrains.com, metrolinktrains.com. We'll put the link on our Inland Edition program page as well. Join us again next week for Inland Edition, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. and 6.30, right here on KVCR. To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash Inland Edition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Or search for Inland Edition on your favorite streaming service. Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. 
Support for this production, including writing and editing, comes from Rick Dulock, Sharina Wad, and David Fleming. And we get technical website and social media support from Tim Steidel, Sean Houlihan, and Natasha Coles. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Thank you.